So doing the same thing I've done with Crumbles with Big Chicken. So that's kind of the next brand that, that we took a leap on about a year ago now. And so we we're opening some more of those in Central Texas. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited, you know, partnering with Shaquille O'Neal, who's been very successful in the franchise world. And quite frankly, I absolutely love the food. I think it is absolutely the best chicken sandwich on the market. And the shakes that they have there are the best shakes that I've ever had at a restaurant. Between that and the management team and a few other things, I was completely sold after a few meetings with them last year. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Jace Mattinson. Jace used to work in public accounting and private equity before becoming one of Crumble Cookie's first franchisees. His first store opened in 2019 and today he still owns four of them. He gives a super awesome perspective on what it was like to be early on in Crumble, as well as what it's like with his new venture, which is Big Chicken, Shaquille O'Neal's new franchise brand. This was an awesome conversation, and Jace tells us all about building franchises, as well as why he's having so much fun doing it. This is a conversation I know you'll enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Great customer experience starts with great employee experience. Create business success with Harry, the platform to build, manage, engage, and retain your team. Care for your people, and they will care for your customers. Visit harry.com today. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. You got into hardware somehow via leverage buyout, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So basically kind of the quick and dirty of my story is I started in public accounting with PwC in the Bay Area. And then uh, that was after college. And I had a little business in college doing a little bit of accounting and outsourced stuff for a a couple guys in the real estate and self-storage space. So thought I wanted to do that, but decided as I tried to grow that business, needed to go get my CPA license. So I went to PwC, started in the Bay Area, then went to a group in Dallas in the uh, private equity and hedge fund space was with them for just a little bit and then left after a few busy seasons, just could not hack it there. And so I went to this outsourced firm and did really well there and eventually got promoted to partner within about a year and opened our Austin, Texas office. And one of my first clients was pretty financially in trouble. It had been a company that had been around for 136 years and they were in the lumber building material, kind of the home center space and tertiary and small town markets. And so did a leverage buyout on some of the equity there and uh, went in house and had no idea about this world of hardware stores or franchises or anything really. Yeah. And uh, got real in the weeds, turned things around there. And then, uh, yeah, we sold to USLBM and Bain Capital a few years ago. And in the midst of all that, Got myself involved in other franchises through my wife, kind of. She, uh, before we had kids, she was in this kind of influencer space. And so we took this national cookie tour to find the best chocolate chip cookies in the nation. When are you looking at cookies? And uh, what? This was like 2017, 2018. So, wow. 
Well, you good timing there, man. I yeah. think I know where this is going. Yeah, so uh yeah, led us to Crumble and became one of the first franchisees of Crumble in Austin. Yeah, just around in, around Austin, Central Texas mainly. Nice. And uh so yeah, I got involved with them in the early early days, had no idea what I was really doing with all that, but I could see the writing on the wall at some point we were probably I mean, the, the building material and hardware store was going real well. After we turned things around, we started doing quite a few acquisitions, but everybody on the, you know, the shareholders were all in their 60s except for me. And so at some point there was, and there wasn't any family that wanted to kind of get involved anymore at all. So I figured at some point we were probably going to sell and I needed to go kind of figure out what was going to be next. And so I started investing in these franchises, started with Crumble and I'm doing crumble and big chicken. I got a couple more in the pipeline coming down. So yeah, that's how I found your show. And that's <laughs> how you and I connected really. Super cool, man. I guess let's start with the hardware store. So was it like a portfolio of just mom and pops or was it, did you consolidate it into Ace Hardware and flip it from there? Yeah. So when I got involved there, they had about 30 something stores and a bunch of these had been, in, you know, essentially family ownership for decades, yeah. you know, generations. I mean, since 1881, the company was actually founded and a bunch of them were branded Ace, some were true value. And that was kind of the gist. And they were small home centers. So they had a lumber yard. We could pick house packages out and serve a lot of smaller kind of communities around Texas. And then, uh, yeah, once we got our footing, there were some strategic decisions we made to kind of move away from true value and move to a company called Orgle that's not a franchise by any stretch of the imagination. They don't have the kind of that model, but a similar type, you know, distribution model and stuff. And so, yeah, took it with them and had about 50-50 split between Orgle and then Ace Hardware's continued to grow Ace, the Ace brand through some strategic acquisitions and then also a couple new construction and new builds. A lot of action in the hardware space then. I mean, for Ace, can you clear something up for everyone? Because this debate happens all the time. Is Ace a franchise or a co-op? Because they obviously have co-op <laughs> stores, but they have an FTD and I've just seen this debate online too much. Is Ace a franchise? So <laughs> it, it is a little murky, right? The, the way Ace works is they're a co-op in terms of their distribution. Now, Ace has, and what you're probably seeing on the FDD is they do have essentially, you know, under the franchise laws of this country, such that they are selling, you know, rights and yada, 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 and territorial protection and, and, and that kind of thing. So that's where it gets a little murky because of that. But so to the answer to the question is they're really both in a lot of ways. And they do as part of that, you know, agreement with them, they do expect you to carry, you know, a certain amount of their product. You know, typically it's like 70 to 80 percent at a given location that you're buying directly from Ace. But they also have another company they call EJD that they bought out a couple of years ago, Emory Jensen. And that is branded ace product but it's not part of like the ace comes out of the same warehouse very complex but they did that as a very strategic decision to compete with orgle and true value who's no longer a co-op all right folks so hopefully that cleared it up i know where you're coming from because i actually got my start at a co-op oh nice called johnstone supply so yeah very similar or familiar with the model yeah you know they had similar structure where so there were like hvac and plumbing equipment and parts warehouses basically Kind of like Home Depot, but only for licensed contractors is the way I always thought about it. Yeah. And yeah, the Johnstone Corporate had like seven distribution centers around the country that all their stores would source like a large portion of their products from. And yeah, they do it like Johnstone's the same way. They actually started coming out with FDDs recently. So 
I'm not sure if they're franchising or, or what, but it's probably similar to what you just said with Ace. So yeah, super interesting. Well, what was it like going from that world of hardware and a much different customer base, right? Than jumping right into Crumble Cookies. And was it you and your wife working in Crumble or did you guys kind of take a more investor-minded approach and maybe try to hire a GM early on? Yeah, so a little bit of both. My wife had been significantly involved, mainly because she's a dietitian by trade and worked in food service management for quite some time. And so I was really leveraging kind of her expertise to really do this, even though, you know, we were providing the capital and I did bring in a partner as well. Okay. And so, you know, in those early days, you have no idea what you're doing. I think corporate was young and they're trying to figure it out too. And so it was a lot of all hands on deck and support from all sorts of, you know, angles. But, you know, at this point, it's more of kind of an investor strategic mindset where we do have GMs in place and a management team. And essentially I look at things, you know, on a monthly, weekly basis in terms of metrics and numbers and whatnot, but not really involved in any of the day-to-day anymore. And neither is she. And what was the date of that first store that you, like, do you remember roughly month, like month, year? I think we opened September of 19. Okay. So that's the first corporate store and only corporate store opened in like June, 2017, I think. Yeah. From your vantage point, because I think I mean, to me, it's a fascinating case study, just going from one corporate store to over 700 open today. I know last year as a system, you know, crumbled past a billion and the unit economics seem to be great every single year. Obviously, the social media followings that they've built has been incredibly impressive. And then I know, you know, I had Jason on the show. Jason McGowan is the CEO and co-founder of Crumble, if someone listening to this doesn't know that. But he talked about the kind of their first corporate hire was a, I think it was like an ex-VP of development at Facebook. So I know their intern, your internal system for Crumble, he seemed to think is a massive differentiator for how you guys operationally work, because he was kind of telling us that, you know, basically the tech and all the bells and whistles they built out will tell them at corporate if a franchisee is on the path to like maybe their store going downhill, but they can pick up those signals before it happens because it's like, hey, your cook times are too long or your order times are taking too long or too slow or pricing, you know, a bunch of different metrics that they're able to kind of assess the health of a franchisee at any given moment. But given you're so early and maybe all that wasn't built yet, I mean, from what you've seen, especially what you know now, probably evaluating other franchises, what has made Crumble successful, I guess? Because so many people say, oh, it's just chocolate chip cookies. Like, you know, it's not that good of a business. And I'm like, ah, the numbers don't lie. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the tech because honestly, from an investor standpoint, when I put on my investor hat, when I first wrote that first check, I mean, that's what I thought I was buying. I thought I was buying a technology company that happened to sell cookies. And that's why I made the bet because I was very confident in Jason and his ability, given his background and the team to really figure out the tech stack that would kind of bring, you know, just selling food, cookies, any of these things in general into the 21st century. And I think they've really delivered on that. There's bugs. I mean, we had a crazy black swan event. I don't know, it's like three years ago or basically we're shut down from a day because we had an issue with some of the tech stuff that, that I won't really get into. But there were some growing pains for sure, but the tech now is absolutely phenomenal. They've done a wonderful job within, obviously, as the system's grown, they've been able to bring in more and more talent to continue to maintain that. Yeah. But yeah, I do think it is you know a big differentiator in the marketplace compared to a lot of other brands. I mean, it is amazing on the operational side to look at what we have at the touch of our finger in any part of the store. 
you can tell that they're just playing at a very high level and a lot higher level than most franchisors are. You know, let's just be honest. I think a lot of franchisors don't have their tech stack figured out at all. And yeah, it's a shame because they're charging high fees sometimes. But um, yeah, their franchisees maybe aren't actually getting the a modern operating system that they should. So what are your thoughts on, because this now comes up a lot. It's almost like a case of Crumble's own success, right? There's obviously like now copycats kind of coming out and everyone thinks it's easy to open a cookie franchise and be successful. But my question's more along the lines of like, you're still a franchisee, you know, do you worry about the longevity of cookies? Because I think that's the case. A lot of people compare it to Froyo. Like they're saying, oh, like Crumble is the next Froyo brand. Too much hype, which I have pushed back on because, you know, I'm a nerd and I read through all the old Froyo FTDs. And the unit economics from frozen yogurt franchises never came close to what Crumble's doing today. So like, I already just don't like the comparison because mm-hmm. frozen yogurt brands at their peak were doing like 500 or 600K in average unit volume. And I'm not sure, you know, the ones I found never shared profitability, but so it's hard to say what the margins were on it. But regardless, right, they also didn't have the social media follow through that Crumble did, which is a real advantage in my opinion. There's debate on that, but ultimately if you have 10 million people that you can get in front of at the tip of your fingers, then it's a huge lift for the brand's visibility and awareness. But anyway, do you get worried that like maybe Crumble has because the cookies were so good and no one was like doing it in a gourmet way. Like, do, do you worry that it's there's a hype thing here that could come crashing down or are you not at all? And you think it's a sustainable enough business? Yeah, I think that's always a, a little bit of a worry and a risk with really any brand that's scaled as quickly as they have. One of the things when I was kind of doing my initial due diligence early on that I looked at is, you know, we have a company and you're probably familiar with them now in Texas called Tiff Streets, you know, and Tiff Streets has been around since the late 90s. And so from that standpoint, looking at just, okay, are people buying cookies? Tiff Streets has scaled. They got, you know, significant investments from Kendra Scott and Dirk Nowitzki and some others, you know, over the years to continue to grow. The consumer is still buying chocolate chip cookie and, you know, Crumble's rotating menu. I thought at the time, granted, there's probably, you know, I don't know, half a dozen or whatever that have come out with it since. But that was a real nice differentiator, you know, in the marketplace, but, you know, making these cookies from scratch. But yeah, I do think the longevity and building a really strong brand is still going to be there. What does that look like in five to 10 years from now? I don't know. But as you mentioned, there are going to be several, you know, others. There's nothing proprietary about making cookies. So some of it is going to come down to the brand strength. But yeah, I mean, it's a worry to some degree, but, you know, at the same time, like, we've done extremely well and we're in, in great, you know, areas and great markets, you know, being kind of in the South and Southeast and in Texas specifically, you know, I'm confident that people will always be buying cookies. And I think, you know, to the Froyo comparison, the one thing I really like about cookie versus Froyo is you can take it and have it delivered. It can keep for 30 minutes to 60 minutes. It can be delivered to businesses. Whereas a Froyo frozen yogurt has got to be a customer that comes in, in most cases, to take it and eat on premises. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, you can order a box of cookies. You can have a box of cookies shipped to someone. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I also kind of, at least from a market sector perspective, you know, I know you, you mentioned Tiff's Treats, which is a local to here in the Austin and Texas area. But yeah, I mean, at least where I come from in the Northeast, uh, I mean, Insomnia Cookies is actually I think they're national. They've got, but I think they're largely based in the North 
East or, or East Coast, but they do have about 200 locations, if I'm not mistaken. And they've been around for over 20 years. Then you have Great American Cookies, which has been around for a while. And then even like if you look at just uh, like kind of CPG, like food and beverage that sells in like grocery stores, right? I mean, like Chips Ahoy, Oreo, there's probably other cookie brands that I'm not even thinking of that are selling hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Like, I don't think cookies are going away. Obviously, brick and mortar operation around it is different. But yeah, I think it's a much more stable category. So I do think a lot of people sometimes just see big numbers and I get it. There are these hype cycles that happens within the franchise world where there'll be some concept that maybe has some, you know, impressive corporate stores and all of a sudden a bunch of people are buying units and then there's FOMO and everyone buys in and it's like, well, there's really not that much proof of concept. So when that happens, people almost just predict that it, oh, it's going to be one of those overhyped brands. But like, I really think I'm not saying Crumble is going to be amazing forever. Like who knows? But I don't think it's the, it's too simple of a comparison to just set, you know, it's almost like a bit lazy just to look at it and say, oh, it's the next Froyo. There's a lot more going on. So yeah, anyway, it's good to hear your insight on it. But do you own big chickens or are you just invest in an operator? What's the story there? Yeah, no. So doing the same thing I've done with Crumbles with big chickens. So that's kind of the next brand that, that we took a leap on about a year ago now. And so we we're opening some more of those in Central Texas. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited, you know, partnering with Shaquille O'Neal, who's been very successful in the franchise world. And quite frankly, I absolutely love the food. I think it is absolutely the best chicken sandwich on the market. And the shakes that they have there are the best shakes that I've ever had at a restaurant. Between that and the management team and a few other things, I was completely sold after a few meetings with them last year. Great customer experience starts with your employees. But when you're busy with paperwork, your team suffers. Introducing Harry, the end-to-end -end platform that solves for scheduling, turnover, employee engagement, and compliance woes. Founded and run by passionate industry professionals, Harry is built for franchise owners. Spend less time in the office and more time on the floor. Visit harry.com today. That's H-A-R-R-I dot com. Have you met Shaquille O'Neal? Let's get to the important stuff. <laughs> I, I've met his agent. <laughs> I've got a meeting with him in a couple, and I think it's scheduled here for a couple months. So yeah, I will, uh, cool. we'll have a sit down with Shaq myself. I've been following that brand closely. They seem to be growing very healthy with multi-unit operators. I know they've sold some big deals in Dallas and Florida with some very experienced multi-unit food operators. So it's been interesting to watch that. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously a huge differentiator to have Shaquille O'Neal as a brand ambassador for you, just the reach he can have. You know, did you ever think about getting outside of food? There's a lot of folks who almost try to avoid food just with lower margin products, right? You're selling typically, maybe not a crumble, but I'd imagine that the chicken sandwiches are probably a little lower margin than a gourmet cookie. And then, you know, even the labor, there can be headaches. So yeah, just general thoughts on kind of food and restaurant. Yeah. Restaurants as an industry. Yeah. You know, I never really saw myself getting into restaurants, to be honest, until I really met my wife who, you know, is a dietitian, as I mentioned, and been in food service for a while. But, you know, I'm still involved. You know, after we sold the lumber hardware business. I went to private equity for a little bit and uh, essentially sat on my non-compete. Didn't really plan it that way, but that's essentially how it works. So I'm still back. I've still got quite a bit of exposure in the lumber and, and hardware markets and doing another roll up in that space too. And I probably will always, I love 
lumber building materials and hardware. I love the people in it. You know, I obviously have been in it for almost a decade now, so I understand it really well. Yeah. And so I will probably always have essentially some like personal portfolio exposure. I love the food space too. I've grown to really love it more than I ever thought about it. You know, I get it from an investor standpoint that you're working on slim margins and this and that, but I just don't really look at it that way. I mean, lumber building materials, like, you know, our gross margins are 30s and EBITDA margins are around low double digits and food typically is done better for that, you know, than that for me specifically. And so to me, it's okay. Do I really want to go and compete in some of these other arenas? You know, who knows? Do I raise a fund and get outside of food and beverage in the franchising space? Possibly. You know, I know you've had Brian Beers and on, on your podcast, and I know he's done extremely well with the Midas's and you know, there's other ones out there that that I've looked at and that I may take a stab at one day. But, you know, so far, the food and bevy kind of concepts have, have been real good to us. And uh, they're fun. I mean, I love some of these brands I'm involved with and the couple that I'm about to sign some more deals with. I just, I've been a customer for, you know, almost a decade with some of them. And I just love them, you know, and it's real easy to sell to people. And the groups that I've met on the franchise or side have just been phenomenal to work with. Yeah. I mean, you, you've definitely uh, chosen two top-notch ones. I know Shaq put together a super impressive executive team, and then obviously Crumble speaks to it for itself with what they've done since 2017. So you're working with a couple heavy hitters. Was there any worry with Big Chicken relative to Crumble? You know, it's, I'm pretty sure it's like a, a, bit, a bit more of an expansive menu, right? I know you said the chicken sandwich and milkshakes are great, but yeah. Was there any fear that we're, it's still food and beverage, but it's very different than crumble cookies. Was there any worry there just when you jumped into it? There's always worry, right? I mean, when you kind of invest, you know, large sums of money and everything else, like, I mean, you want to do all your due diligence and, you know, I don't really have kind of the natural shoot from the hip type personality. I'm a little bit more, I'm a CPA by background, if the gives you, you know, kind of some idea of the way my brain works. And I've really come a long way with being able to kind of fundamentally take those calculated risks internally. But yeah, operationally, there were some things. I mean, I, even now, you know, I went to a couple of the restaurants in the last couple of weeks that that have opened with other franchisees and operationally, I'm looking, I'm like, we've got to figure out some design stuff with ours. I don't want to have that issue with our people. You know, those kinds of things definitely come up and I look at and that stuff, you know, does it get solved overnight? I don't know. But the team, as you mentioned, with Big Chicken specifically is just so phenomenal. You know, I mean, I can basically just call the CEO and most of their executive team at the drop of a hat and they'll pick up the phone and, and we can talk. And quite frankly, as you mentioned, I mean, there's some massive groups, very, very experienced groups. And some of those that I've met that you know, are two, three decades ahead of me in age and experience that have signed massive deals with them. Yeah. And being able to, I mean, one of the groups I went out, the one in Florida in particular, I mean, I went out and spent some time with them and, you know, had some, went to their offices, looked at all their operations and, and really got to know those guys really well. And that kind of value and experience that you can kind of leverage, you know, through a franchise system as you're growing and stuff is just invaluable to me. And how does that, let's actually maybe get a little granular there. Like you're a new franchising to Big Chicken. You have some of these big fish, who big multi-unit operators who own hundreds of restaurants and other brands. I mean, is it like you shoot them an email and you say, hey, like I'm a new guy. I want to, could we just talk? Or is, do you guys have a group chat? Like how does it actually work when you're a franchisee and you potentially do have the option for that like franchisee collaboration slash mentorship? 
Yeah, well, I happened to be with those guys in particular in a, in a small group setting over a weekend. And so that was the time I first met them. And then they kind of were offering up, you know, mentorship as we got to know each other a little bit. And so then, yeah, I just shot them an email and they picked a couple dates and I flew out there one day and, uh, you know, we sat down and they took me around and showed me everything. And, yeah. you know, they operate some of the most successful franchisee operations in other brands. And so that was unique to see as well, kind of how they run their whole, you know, empire, so to speak. And yeah, that was the gist of it. And I mean, I mean we're kind of on a first name basis now and text and call or whatever, you know, as needed. I don't know. I don't take advantage of that, you know, but yeah. these guys are 30 years ahead of me, 20, 30 years ahead of me in a lot of ways. And so it, it is valuable to ask them questions and get their opinions on things that, you know, everybody in my family's in medicine. I'm the only one that's like kind of this black sheep in a way. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. It's funny. Uh, when you're talking early, like very early on in this conversation about your CPA route, I am the one, my family, including all my siblings, it's six of us, and I'm the only one who's not a CPA. So yeah, I'm definitely fitting the black sheep of the family vibe there as well. But um, zooming out, how many crumbles and big chickens do you currently own? Yeah, I've got four crumbles. Okay. And then I've got three initial and big chicken, but I own a territory. Sure. And so we could end up building several in that territory. I just don't, you know, we're starting with three for sure. And the three you know, main markets that I picked that I want to start in. Yeah. And then after that, we'll see, but I've got a whole territory to essentially expand into. And those are still being built. Yeah. The big check. Yes. The, the one, you don't have an open one yet. Don't have one open yet. Okay. Nope. Okay. Be later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Damn. Four crumbles. That's nice though. What do you see uh, long-term? I mean, is it, kind of just rinse and repeat. I know you said you want to stay in the lumber, that kind of hardware lumber game for a while, but with franchises specifically, like especially in the context of now through Big Chicken, you have some people with hundreds of stores. Is that the goal going forward to maybe become that large of a multi-unit operator or do you have other plans? Yeah, at the end of the day, I just want to have fun. It's nice. just, if I'm having fun and, and I'm growing, great, but I want to have fun. I don't want to get too many that it doesn't become fun or too many headaches or I don't know what that number is. Okay. And I've toyed, granted, I spent a little time in private equity in a startup private equity fund and had a great time there. Granted, we weren't doing anything in franchises, but doing a lot of stuff in small business and small business acquisitions. And, you know, I just love all that. I've done, I don't know, probably 70 acquisitions now throughout my career in various industries, mainly in the lumber and hardware space. But have had a little exposure in some other spaces as well. And so as long as I'm having fun, you know, I'll continue to grow. I don't know what that looks like and how many units and, you know, what franchises, do I stay in food? Do I go outside of food? I have looked at it at a couple things. You know, I, I love sport clips. I've been a customer there for years. I'm <laughs> friends with Edward nice. down the street. So yeah, like nice. we looked at doing some new ones with them, but in all reality, like probably kind of the next phase for me outside of maybe doing a few of these up and coming brands is probably getting into another one through an acquisition and then kind of doing a little bit more bolt-on M&A just because I'm a lot better at that. And I do lose a little patience for how long it takes to get some of these new ones open. I'm a year in with Big Chicken. By the time we open, you know, our first one will be 14 to 18 months, you know, life cycle. And then the ones after that, and it's just takes a long time, you know, find the real estate, negotiate all that. And sometimes I start losing patience for that, maybe because I'm getting a little older. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Can you kind of shed some light on for potentially some prospects here, right? 14 to 18 months. I think a lot of people get under the impression that 
hey, you buy a franchise and within a few months, you're going to be up and running. It's definitely not that way. What have been kind of the, I don't even know what the timeline you had out in your, set out in your mind, but if there were delays, you know, what caused it? Was it construction? Was it finding a site? Why does it take that long? I guess is, is the bluntest way to ask the question. Yeah. Well, when I look at these units, one of the most important things to me is real estate. And so the real estate sometimes in, in these cases, I'm doing two brand new locations. One of them has at the, with our first two specifically, and the other one that's coming online too is going to be a brand new location. By brand new, it's going to be essentially, it's all dirt today. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It's first gen. And so getting that location, uh, securing the lease, negotiating everything, a lot of times these developers may not actually start construction on some of these projects until they have, you know, a majority of it leased out. And so in some cases, I was one of the first. I wanted a, you know, end unit, end cap, drive through for the big chicken. Yeah. And that's what typically goes first in a lot of these developments. And so that's what happened. And so it's just taken a long time for, you know, them to lease up the rest of it to be willing to start the project. And then there's always two to three months of back and forth between attorneys and LOIs and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I've looked at, I don't know how many sites too, before I picked this. So yeah, it just, it, it always takes longer than you expect. I mean, I'm sure people hear that all the time and cost more than you think. And it's true. I mean, it just does. Now that's really great perspective to hear. And financially, is there any risk? And I know it's going to vary. So for folks listening, right, franchisors may, some do stipulate, right? Like if you're not open by X time, you might have to start paying some type of fee basically. And largely, I don't think most franchisors actually ever want to enforce that or do enforce it. But the risk that they're trying to protect against the risk of, you know, someone paying a franchise fee, locking up a territory, and then the franchisees just either taking their time, sitting on their hands, or they're not doing the right things to get open. So like they want some urgency and incentive there, which I get. But yeah, anyway, for you, right? I mean, was there any worry there and more so also to like reserve slash preserve that end cap location are you having to put a down payment ahead of time to so the developers know you're for real or how does that work yeah i just put up a, a typical deposit in last month's rent so yeah it's some cash but it's not crazy amounts but okay yeah i mean i all those clauses exist in all my agreements and with crumble specifically i mean we breached essentially three of them <laughs> you know, and from a development standpoint, but, you know, we had the lease assigned. I mean, I think there was good faith effort on on our part that like, hey, this is some of the out of our control. In one of our cases, I mean, we planned to open one of our locations a year earlier than it was opened, but, and we had the lease signed at such, but there was some tie up in the city with plans and address and all this kind of stuff that was completely out of our control. And then our landlord had some issues and you know, as long as you're communicative with corporate and the franchisor and that stuff, you know, I've found that they've been very understanding and not once was it ever brought up at all. You know, I was worried about it because it was new, yeah. but not once was it ever brought up on, on their end. That's great to hear. People are getting treated fairly, especially like you said, if they're making a good faith effort. So, well, in light of this though, right, you're, you're mentioning, yeah, I'm sure there's just some headaches you have to deal with where you're probably like eager and also hungry, right? You paid probably down payments, so to speak, via the franchise fee. To, and then maybe you're doing the down payments to the landlords to for wherever you're going to be building these locations and operating them. So obviously you're eager to get a return on that investment, but then these things come up, whether it's from the city and ordinances and all that stuff that can delay you. But prior to that, you mentioned, hey, I'm just trying to have fun and I can kind of get that vibe from you. Like you're just, you know, you're not necessarily 
Uh, you know, I've got guys who are like, hey, I want to open 100 units and build a $50 million company. Like they have these specific goals. And you're, I could tell you're just trying to enjoy the ride. You know, for people who are listening to this on Spotify or Apple, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and it's a Wednesday morning. So uh, he's, <laughs> he, he's definitely just enjoying himself, which I respect. So yeah, like what's fun to you about this whole multi-unit brick and mortar ownership lifestyle? Yeah, you know, growing up with my parents being in medical field, you know, I just think I went to work with my dad like once, you know, I can go see the operating room and be like, okay, cool. Nobody's in there. This is great. I mean, <laughs> for me, I've got three young kids now. It's pretty cool. My kids love going to the cookie store. They love going. They're like, what's next? Which one's, you know, yeah. and I'm able to really work with them a little bit and teach them. So there's a little bit of kind of that internal, you know, satisfaction. I had a paper out growing up. We know how ancient those are now. Yeah. So in terms of like what my kids are going to do and what they're going to be able to to do in terms of work, who knows, maybe they're going to be like social media stars or something now that <laughs> didn't even exist when when I was like a, a teenager and whatnot or yeah. careers, I guess, that, that I should say. But you know, my kids are always asking about these people and how much money they make on YouTube and all this. But yeah. at any rate, there's a little bit of satisfaction with that. You know, I love the people that we have. We have great leaders and I've been very happy with being able to, you know, all of the managers that work at our crumbles have come from internal promotions right now. And I just love that. I love being able to kind of work with people, grow, you know, some of these people chose a different route and instead of going to college and they're making great money, they're making more than some of their peers make in some cases with college degrees. And, and I'm not saying that that's the route for everybody and I think to each their own, but Having that level of satisfaction and be able to grow a lot of people and work with them and be able to coach them. And then, you know, on the same front, like some of the best people I've ever met and worked around come from these industries that I've been involved with and the groups that I've been involved with. And I mean, at the end of the day, like that's what really matters to me. A lot of these relationships, like, I mean, it's fun. I obviously want to be profitable and, and make money and continue to, you know, reinvest and grow because that's part of the fun for me too. But developing and getting some of these relationships that I have is just, has been so critical and key that those are what I take. I might sell a brand one day or whatever, who knows, right? I've already sold one, you know, lumber hardware company. I'll probably do it again. And maybe at some point, you know, I sell off some of these franchises, who knows what changes over time, but those relationships are going to last forever. Amazing. Now I love it. Great response. And I never really thought about that aspect of that does have to feel pretty good to be able to kind of bring your, your kids kind of behind the counter, show them how it all works. I mean, I, I would have loved that as a kid, especially, I mean, it, it helps that it's a cookie shop too, for, in the case of Crumble, right? You know, if it was like a, no, no disrespect to Brian Beers, but maybe the kids wouldn't be as excited about an oil change as they are about <laughs> a bunch of cookies. <laughs> when they start seeing the profits, they yeah, might. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I love blue collar too, man. There's, I, I, I'm telling you, had it not been for my wife, I would have never gotten involved in food in the first place. Like she, given her background, gave me more confidence to take that risk because she just knows it so well and had been in food service management prior to us getting married. No, definitely. It's funny. I actually, I mean, the owners of the business I worked with, you know, at that company, Johnstone Supply, they own four stores by the time when I joined and then they eventually got up to eight stores when I had left to really to dive head first into the franchise world. But I'm like, I mean, it was amazing business. Those owners absolutely crushed. It's a different world in the blue collar industries. And I don't necessarily, that's not a bad way. It's just, I've noticed, um, I don't know, in the trades, at least your customer base and yeah, it's just, it's a whole different ball game. You know, it was good for me. as like coming out of college 
outside sales reps selling to owners of contracting businesses. It's the quickest way to thicken your skin, I think. But for sure. Yeah. I think cookie customers are happier than contractor customers. <laughs> Not sure if you disagree with that. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, look, this has been a ton of fun. I think uh, what you're doing is awesome. And I love your outlook and mentality. So thanks a lot for kind of coming on the show and sharing it with everyone. Is there anywhere online, are you on socials or anything where people could follow along your journey and kind of just see what you're up to next? Yeah, I mainly hang out on LinkedIn. I know a lot of your followers are big Twitter guys. <laughs> I keep getting emails from Twitter that, and I do have an account, but I just don't post there very, very often. I don't know if it's because of the, the age and generation, but and I keep getting these emails that somebody's trying to hack my account in the Netherlands every week. So I don't I don't really hang out on Twitter that much, mainly LinkedIn. And then I'm a little bit on Instagram, but LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me. I do have a podcast that I run too that I'm pretty active in, have been for about six years. So those are probably the best places to, to find me. Cool. All right. You can plug the LinkedIn, I guess, in the podcast in the show notes. So if you guys want to check out what he's up to, you can do so. And uh, yeah, thanks again, man. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.